Have you made anything lately? I made that big old bowl of Texas red chili, thanks to Matt Pittman. Great recipe. It turned out really well. You know how it works when you create something, when you make something. Most of the time, first time out of the gate, it's not very good. But this time was really good. So I created that bowl of authentic Texas red chili earlier today, and it got me thinking a little bit about the great mental model that makes great leaders, part four, that I want to share with you today. Leadership is, at its heart and core, a creative act. Hi, I'm D. Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders, For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Well, it's about that time again. Welcome back. It is a Sunday afternoon, almost Sunday early evening, and I just lit a Legends Drew Estate cigar. This one is from the Black series. The Maduro wrapper is really Maduro. It looks like Dove dark chocolate on the outside. It's a Lonsdale size, which means it's a probably a 42 or 44 rings. Not very big around, and it's quite long. It's about 7 inches long. Really nice cigar. I have gotten a few of these given to me in five packs. Tend to enjoy cigars that are a little bit meatier than this, but uh, the shape of it is nice. Wow, does it taste good. It's got a very nice sweet taste on the wrapper. It's a Brazilian wrapper. And then the uh, the origin of most of the tobacco inside is, is Nicaraguan. And then the binder inside is called a San Andreas binder. So we put all of those together and then infuse it with the magic that Drew Estate Cigars does. And this is a wonderful cigar. It probably wouldn't star on the podcast if it was not a wonderful cigar. (laughs) I feel as though when I'm hanging on to this cigar that I need to be extending the pinky of my left hand just a little bit. It's kind of a delicate looking cigar. (laughs) Not one that you'd see starring in a movie, right? Unless the guy who was smoking it had greased back, slicked back, dark hair and a pencil mustache and seemed to always be wearing a tuxedo. That's the kind of person who would smoke this cigar. And you know me, I am the opposite of all of those things. <laughs> anyway, not going to look at another gift cigar in the mouth. This is a really good one. And thank you for giving me these uh, five packs. I think I got three five packs. I'm going to share them around. Of course, I'd share it with you. You're sitting right over there. Say it every day. Now, this time, I am not alone in the studio. So there are two folks sitting back over there nodding and grinning. And the only thing that I asked for them to do was to not make a lot of body noises. Don't burp and don't sniff and <laughs> Chuckle if you want, but they're far enough away that the microphone may pick it up, but uh, there they are sitting right over there. So they're going to be joining me today. A couple of friends of mine. Mm-mm. Copious clouds of smoke coming off of this little cigar. 
That's sort of standard for Drew Estate cigars. They do, most of them put out a lot of smoke. And this one is filling up the studio even as we speak. We've got a super quiet fan over, way over there on the other side of the studio. You won't be able to hear it today and all of the obnoxious lights are turned off. So it's just a kind of a nice warm color sitting in here. Well, while the three of us are in here thinking about you and thinking about this part four in our Great Mental Models Make Great Leaders series. And just before popping over to the studio, I finished a couple of bowls of this amazing chili. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of chili. Most folks take whatever's left over in their refrigerator and throw it together and then add some random spices, salt and pepper or something like that, and then call it chili. Usually has a lot of beans in it, but I made this chili from a recipe that I got from Matt Pittman, who is the CEO of Meat Church down in Waxahachie, Texas. Isn't that a great name for a town? Well, he's got a barbecue supply store, and he comes up with all kinds of wonderful spices and seasonings and recipes. Well, I ran across this recipe called, let's see here, let me pull it up on the other screen so I can get the name of it exactly right. There it is. It's Texas Red Chili. And this is authentic red chili. So this is not any kind of chili that I've ever had before. And I thought, well, this looks good. I'm going to give this a try. So I created it. Now, I followed his recipe as closely as I know how. So I would say I made it, but I didn't create it. He created this, doing a bunch of research and picking up from other people's recipes and stood on the shoulders of giants in order to create this incredibly good chili. Of course, those giants were most likely the guys who ran the chuck wagons in cattle drives. Apparently, chili con carne, which is just chili with meat and nothing else in it but spices, started off down in the southwest, maybe in Texas, maybe in New Mexico. No one's really sure, but of course, Texas wants to claim it. So Texas actually <laughs> resolved in 1977 by the House of Representatives in the state of Texas that the only chili that was officially chili in the state of Texas is what is called a bowl of red. So this is the recipe, or pretty close to the recipe, that those old chuck wagon cooks used to use. You know, that, that could go badly if I didn't do it right, but I did it right. I was so pleased, so pleased with this Texas red chili. If you're interested in trying to make some of this, then go to, to uh, meatchurch.com, look for recipes and look for Texas red chili. The one I made, I made a double the batch up. So it was about six pounds of stew meat. And uh, I used a bunch of dried ancho chilies, not ground up into powder yet, but in, in actual chili form, a bunch of those. And then used a bunch of the dried guajillo chilies. And then the recipe calls for garlic and onion and black pepper and some beef bouillon and, and some wonderful Goya seasoning and some cumin and Mexican oregano. And I could go on and on and on. It is wonderful. It took me about five hours to make this and it is so phenomenal that we're going to make it again. But anyway, that's what I had. So I still have some of that wonderful spice going on in my, in my mouth as I'm enjoying with some friends here this Drew Estates Legend Black Cigar. Mm, mm, mm. So usually I do a bourbon review as we get going as well. No surprise, I'm going to do one here today. I have never tried this bourbon before. This is called Clyde Mays Straight Bourbon Whiskey. It is the official bourbon of Alabama, apparently. <laughs> and when I think bourbon... I never think Alabama, but we'll find out if this was a good decision to make. It's 92 proof, non-chill filtered, 
Clyde May. Now, the company, the Clyde May Distillery, is owned by a Canadian and Italian wine company. So who knows if this is going to be any good. But apparently Clyde May was a moonshiner. He was a... He was in the infantry in World War II, got wounded, uh, got out of the infantry, decided he would become a creator. (laughs) So he made some moonshine. And then, of course, back in that point in time, it was not legal for you to make your own moonshine unless you had all kinds of licenses. But he did it anyway, and then eventually became, according to legend, the most wanted moonshiner in the entire country (laughs) because his stuff was so good and everybody wanted it and it happened to be illegal. Well, he went to jail for that for several months and got out and immediately started to improve his his brew. (laughs) That's kind of how it happens. If you're going to create, you just got to create. And that's what he was doing. He created and created until he finally got this thing right. According to legend, anyway, he got it right. So Clyde May's straight bourbon whiskey. Let's open this bottle. I have literally never tried it it's a brand new bottle. And to give it, uh, this is the neck pour, so it, it's probably going to taste slightly different the second sip, but I poured maybe a quarter of a shot just to get a good taste of it. It's a super dark, dark bourbon. Wow, it's a, it's in a nice glass here, and uh, wow, it looks like almost like maple syrup. It's a beautiful color. I poured maybe three-eighths of an inch deep in this nice big glass I've got. Let it air out just a little bit. Wow, right away, I get a little cinnamon, and apricot. That's it. Cinnamon and apricot. It's 92 proof, so I'm not getting any of that burn that you can even kind of smell, that alcohol smell that sometimes comes through a bourbon like this, but let's give it a sip. Oh my. Oh my goodness. Who knew? Good job, Clyde May. Wow, good job, Alabama. No wonder this is the official bourbon of Alabama. This is really, and that was just the very first sip of a 92 proof. My goodness, that is good stuff. Apparently, it's a little bit hard to find, and there's different ones. There's an 80 proof and then the 92 proof. This is the 92 proof. It's got the the lighter label and a picture of Clyde May with his arms folded in the background from probably 1950 or something like that, and no ice in this. Like I said, this is this is really, really good. I'm raving over this, and I just one little sip of this. I realized that just an hour and a half ago, I had some of that Texas red chili. So this complements that Texas red chili quite well. Oh, wonderful stuff. It's kind, of, it's kind of a soft combination of smells and of tastes, and I can, I can truly smell apricot. I'm sure that's apricot that I'm smelling in there. And now, almost a strawberry smell. Then there's a spice in there that I can't quite pick up. But I'm not a pro. If you're a pro at this, you might be able to get a bottle and figure out what that what that spice is or I'll pull up some reviews and find out what other folks are saying the spice is well, let's give it another sip here so that Clyde May a pretty creative guy against all odds <laughs> and against all laws <laughs> Clyde May made a really good bourbon him and a bunch of other folks I'm sure were involved in making that stuff happen very creative guy have you made anything lately I made that big old bowl of Texas red chili Great recipe. It turned out really well. You know how it works when you create something, when you make something. Most of the time, first time out of the gate, it's not very good. But this time was really good. I don't know how many times Clyde had to try to make this stuff so good, but I'll bet he tried over and over and over, because at the heart and core of it, this guy just had to create something good. (laughs) So I created that bowl of authentic Texas red chili earlier today, and it got me thinking a little bit about the great mental model that makes great leaders, part four, that I want to share with you today. And it flows from this question. Have you made anything recently? Have you created anything recently? 
Something as simple and fun as this authentic Texas red chili or something more sophisticated like a whole company that sells Clyde Mays. Have you created anything? This has been a pretty creative season for me this last many months. I bought a few months ago a Pit Boss KC Combo Platinum Pellet Smoker and Grill <laughs> and redid the entire back deck so that it would support the weight of that clear out on the edge and built a nice privacy fence around it to keep the wind from blowing at my back when I'm cooking and built an outdoor kitchen and then have gone through probably as of this recording, 200 pounds of pellets in that smoker. I'm smoking everything I can find to smoke. In fact, I even took this Texas red chili recipe, put it in a large eight-quart cast iron Dutch oven, put it on the smoker to heat it up and to keep it going. And then every once in a while, I'd take the lid off of that Dutch oven so it gets just a touch of that smoke. The idea of that Texas red chili was that it was probably cooked by chuck wagon cooks over an open fire. And so I wanted to get as close to that taste was possible. Uh, but no beans, of course. Absolutely no beans in this thing. So no scenes from Blazing Saddles going on right now. <laughs> it's uh, so fun. But I, since I got that pit boss, I have been having so much fun creating things. I'll bet three, four, five times a week I'll come home early enough to fire that thing up and put something on it and smoke it from pizza to Texas red chili to the first brisket that I made that turned out, I might add, perfect. <laughs> it was awesome. So fun. And then that got me thinking about this great mental model that I want to share with you, which is leadership is at its heart and core a creative act. It may be thousands of creative acts, but it is at its heart and core creating something that did not exist. And as with all folks who create things, we tend to create things against the odds. It's difficult to do. It hasn't necessarily been done before in the way we need to do it or with the people we need to do it. And there's a lot of resistance that comes in to creating. And so this great mental model that all of these great leaders that I know have is that leadership is at its core a creative act. And whenever we get away from that realization and that mental model, we will most likely slip into other activities of leadership. We will most likely get into management. We'll get into supervision. Those are not necessarily creative acts. They're important. They're vital in your enterprise and in mine, but they are not creative acts. Leadership is a creative act. Think about it with me for just a hot second. At the heart and core of it, leaders see some part of the future that does not yet exist, and they are so compelled by it that they imagine it, they dream about it, they begin to take steps to make it happen because it's not going to naturally happen. And then they talk to you and they talk to me about it, and we get on board and we help build the future. If that's not a creative act, I don't know what is. <laughs> Leadership is a creative act. Think with me for a minute about what you have made, large or small, and think about what it feels like for you when you make things. I remember when I was very young, there was a bunch of spare old gray lumber laying around beside one of our outbuildings, and I decided I was going to build a treehouse out of it. And so I did. It took me all summer between things because we had a lot of chores to do, so I would get up even earlier, stay up even later, and learn how to build something up in a big, big, old, spread-out oak tree. So I built a treehouse, which was not built to code, <laughs> if you can imagine that. But the 
act of creating that and then the act of using it for several years and then sharing it with friends and having fun with that was profoundly satisfying to me. I remember at one point I also created a go-kart. We had an old lawnmower engine that I took out, an old Briggs and Stratton engine that I took out and kept adding oil, almost as much oil as I would add gas to it to make sure that it ran. And I built a wood frame go-kart <laughs> with the steering components and two seats in it and old lawnmower wheels and uh, that didn't even match. There's four wheels on it and they weren't all the same size, but who cares? The thing would constantly turn to the left, so I'd have to lean to the right and crank the steering wheel to make it go in the right direction. And I was so satisfied as I flew down the dirt roads at about six miles an hour. <laughs> it was so fun to create that thing. When I went into high school, I became the editor of our high school newspaper. at a large high school, a couple thousand kids in that high school, and somehow I ended up as the editor. I thought of it as such a profoundly creative act. It was so fun. I loved fly fishing. As a kid, all the way up through high school and into, and into undergrad school, loved fly fishing. I made my own fly rods. I remember the first one I made, I just heard someone tell me how to do it, got a little book and started making my own fly rod and I probably spent three, four weeks of my spare time making this big, beautiful fly rod. So I went out and practiced with it. And on my fourth or fifth whip of that fishing line with a hook on it, with a fly on it, the fly rod broke right at my wrist level and the hook caught me in the back of the ear all at the same time. It was a creative act gone bad. So, pulled the hook out, much to my pain. There's a little bit of a scars there even to this day. <laughs> and decided, alright, I guess I'm making a fly rod that comes apart in three sections so I can carry it up in my backpack up into the mountains. So I cut it and shortened it and made it better. <laughs> I still have that fly rod to this day. It is really ugly. <laughs> it was so fun. I remember in high school also, I was asked if I would help with a new part of the building that was being built for the high school that we were attending and if I would help kind of decorate it. And I said, you know what, what we ought to do is we ought to paint a great big mural over there in that wall. And so principal said, okay, go to it. You got 50 bucks for paint and supplies. Go to it. I painted this massive mural. It's probably 25 feet wide and eight or nine feet tall. And I still have pictures of that to this day. And that got me going into oil painting, which I loved and have done for several years. I've written several books and started several companies. And this podcast itself is an act of creativity. And I really like creating, but those are all simple examples of creating things on the outside. Internally, as a leader, I have this great mental model. That leadership is in and of itself an act of creation. That by leading, I am creating the future with some other people who want that same kind of future. Leadership at its core is a series of creative acts. It's not management. It's not supervision, although that's involved as well. But we are at our core people who are creating something that would not happen if we were not able to lead. We see what could be, what should be, and then we go out and create it. We don't create it by ourselves. That's the point. It's leadership. We create it with other people. But at the heart and core of leadership is creativity. You as a leader are creating something that did not exist before. Have you thought about it that way? I've noticed that when I, when I lose sight of that, then it becomes dull. It becomes just work. It becomes a series of tasks on my to-do list that I just sort of plow my way through. It's drudgery. Not that the act of creating something is not difficult and challenging and profoundly frustrating in the dips of creating, but it's different. It's different than if I'm just going through a bunch of tasks that need to be done, and then the next one comes, and the next one comes. It's like emptying the ocean with a bucket. <laughs> it can become a bit, at least for me anyway, discouraging. And for those leaders that I've known for years who have this great mental model, we understand that this thing we're doing is at its core an act of creation. In fact, 
If you have this mental model, you know that you are at your best when you're creating. You also know that if you don't create this thing you're imagining, this vision, this future, this plan, this company, this project, this policy, this something, if you don't create this thing you're imagining, that it'll probably kill you. It'll probably slowly rot you. It'll make you irritable. It'll make you frustrated. It'll make you depressed. It'll make you want to self-medicate, but not with Clyde May's straight bourbon whiskey, because that's not self-medicating. That is actually an act of pure creativity. You know you're at your best when you're creating. You know you're at your best when you're making progress, however slow that progress is, one step at a time. I wish you could see me. I'm stepping away from the microphone, taking baby steps away from the microphone as I talk to you. That act of creating, moving from where you were to where where you want to be one step at a time. That progress fuels you. You know that the future doesn't exist yet. You know that the future, defined specifically as the idea or vision or plan that you've got, doesn't even exist yet. And it won't exist unless you step in and make it happen. You're at your best when you're creating. And you're probably at your worst when you're not creating. You know that creativity begins with a spark where you start thinking, you know, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if, or someone should, or why hasn't someone done this yet? Or does anybody else see this? What's the deal? Am I the only one who sees this? Or when you suggest an idea and everyone says, ah, that'll never work. That'd be nice. That's a great idea, but that'll never work. And it just fuels you to move on further. You know that it begins with a spark like that. And then it turns into a small flame, this idea, this future you want to create. And then it begins to occupy more and more of your attention, more and more of your imagination. And then it becomes a fire that drives you. That fire turns into curiosity and it becomes captivating and it compels you. You've got to create. You've got to continually improve and move closer and closer to this thing that you want to create. You've got to complete things along the way that get you closer and closer and closer and then celebrate the completion of those steps and then rinse and repeat. And then you know that that fire begins to grow so much that you gain momentum in it and you can't put it out. Well, maybe you could. You know, if you have this mental model, that leadership at its core is a creative act, you know that there are ways that you could put that flame out. You could put that creative flame out at the heart and core of leadership by putting it off. Procrastination is really like, it's a paralytic, I think. It's, it's like that drug, succinylcholine. You've heard of this before. This, well, maybe you haven't heard of it before, but this is a, a drug that creates a rapid onset and short-acting muscle relaxant that paralyzes you. It's traditionally been used as the drug of choice when rapid muscle relaxation is needed, like in general anesthesia. And then, of course, you get other drugs to knock you out. But the fact that it paralyzes you, that this succinylcholine is a, is a really fast fascinating drug that that acts on us to keep us from moving physically. Procrastination is the succicoline <laughs> paralytic of creativity. <laughs> the sad part about succicoline is if it's just used that, it just paralyzes you, but you're still wide awake. So there has to be something that knocks you out along with it. But not so with creativity when we have this creative spark in us and we want to lead and we want to get there and we want to bring other peoples with us because we need to, because we must, because it's right, because it's important, because it's a righteous cause. And then we procrastinate. We are completely paralyzed by that procrastination, but we're still aware of the vision. And now instead of the vision compelling us, it kills us. <laughs> oh, wow. How was that for some light thinking? Wow. Well, let me re speaking of light thinking, let me relight this cigar. Ah, I'm yammering so much here in the studio that the cigar went out and I can actually see my friends over there. How are you guys doing? 
can actually see them sitting over there through the smoke. <laughs> They're nodding and smiling. They're drinking some Clyde Mays. The bottle is now less full than it was when I opened it a few minutes ago. <laughs> what do you guys think? You like it? I told them not to speak, so they're nodding. <laughs> okay. You can also put the flame out, which is at the very core of leadership. You can put it out by putting it under a magnifying glass, by examining every step way too closely, as though the future is static, as though if you completely analyze every move you make, it's going to end up being the right move because you thought of everything. Well, that's not how it works. We know some things about today and tomorrow, but we don't know a lot. And so we have to move into tomorrow. We have to move forward instead of utterly paralyzed paralyzing ourselves with analysis. We put it under a magnifying glass. Another way that we can put this flame out is we put it in someone else's hands. Here, here's this compelling idea here. Now you be the leader. <laughs> we do that because we're afraid or we're busy or we're tired or we're bored or we're irritated or we're hurt or whatever. We put it in someone else's hands. That's not leadership. You came up with an idea, but now they're the ones who are going to lead. Ah, you and I know that we are forever the creative engine behind that idea behind that force. So leadership is, at its heart and core, a creative act. And you and I are at our best when we are creating. Let's get into the creative act itself, though. Creativity, especially in the initial stages where you are coming to grips with the vision, with the dream, where it's just you, you know it is a solitary activity. You know that no one else has got that spark going. It is just you. And it starts as a solitary activity. And you know that that can be kind of a dark and lonely place. When we look at creative people, we typically look at them through the lens of something they have already created. And we don't think about the dark, dark valley that they were in or the dark season that they were in, in the initial stages when they were all by themselves imagining what could be or what should be and wondering, am I crazy? Am I wasting my time? Am I heading in a direction that is going to fail? I don't want to do that, right? It's a dark and lonely place, especially when the idea is not yet ready or it's at the very beginning when people have a confused response to the idea like what? Or an apathetic response to something that's just literally fueling your every waking moment. <laughs> when people have a polite and powerless enthusiasm, oh, it's good. You ought to do that. <laughs> and then they, they look over their shoulder at something else. Or when there is an oppositional response, you can't do that. I refuse to let you do that. That's not going to happen. It's, and, the, and the resistance is direct and intense. So in that solitary stage of, of creativity, this is a dark and lonely place. We know that. But you got to keep going. You got to do, you just got to start. You just got to start moving. You just got to take this idea even even before the idea is formed enough to describe it well to other people or even to yourself. <laughs> just got to start. And then as you get moving, then creativity becomes a group activity. And the person who follows you first, my friend Derek Sivers calls that person the first follower, a very powerful person in the creation of the future in any regard is that first follower. That's the person who says, after you've gone through that solitary part of creativity, that's the person who says, oh, I see that. Oh, I want that too. And they jump up and they rearrange their life in order to help create it with you. You know that that whole creative act is like dealing with people who come on board and wake up and get warm to the idea at different points in time. It's almost like people are popcorn. They don't all pop at once. A few of them pop, a few of them pop, and then the ones you really need to pop might pop a little bit later. And then there's going to be a bunch of old grannies at the bottom of that bag that don't pop at all. <laughs> you know that you're going to, even as you have the first follower and other people who come on board to create with you that future that simply will not exist unless you create it. You know that you're going to have people who see it and are threatened by it and don't like it and will actively resist you. 
They will put all kinds of pressure on you, mostly not to your face, but around behind you to try to stop you from doing that. You got to remember, got to remember to strip off all the things when that resistance begins to happen, all those things that will hinder you. Newton calls those things friction. He's not, of course, talking about leadership when he talks about friction and the kind of friction you experience while you're moving and the kind of friction you experience when you're sitting still and just start to move. Those are two different kinds of friction. I'm talking about that friction that happens when you are starting to move and you've gained some momentum. There's still friction there. That friction is the friction to slow you down. Sometimes that friction is even within yourself. Well, you just feel like I can't keep going, but you have to. What I have learned and what I've tried to practice with some degree of success and a lot of failure (laughs) is to strip off the stuff that hinders me from running this race. Just strip it off and see that creative future that I'm trying to head toward and then look at my life and how I live my life and look at how I spend time and energy and resources and look at how I talk to myself and how I don't talk to myself. Look at what I do as a leader and who I surround myself with as a leader. And if that future is so important to me, I need to carefully strip off all those things that are going to hinder me from running this race that's set out before me. I need to strip off some very specific things. And and as I'm in this creative mode as a leader, I am very careful to strip off my comparison to others. That's one of the things I want to drop that. That's like a backpack I'm climbing a mountain with is full of rocks. <laughs> strip off comparison to others. Strip off social media. If you spend very much time on social media, you'll find out it is profoundly entertaining and profoundly distracting and very, very addictive and almost completely worthless. <laughs> oh man, it's amazing. So strip off off social media. I'm not saying don't ever look at it, but discipline yourself that's that you only look at it for 10 minutes a day, if that, and only 10 minutes on certain days and only look at it when someone says to you, have you seen this? And then you go find it, look at it, and then pull out of it like that. Social media is a profound paralytic. Strip off the fear of what others think. Strip off the fear of failure. Strip off the fear of hard, gritty work. You have not paid your dues. No matter how long you've been doing this, you have not paid your dues. You cannot coast. If you're creating something that doesn't exist, it's going to take a phenomenal amount of fortitude and work to get that. Anything. Strip off anything that sucks you in and numbs you. Strip off constant mental stimulation and entertainment and amusement and noise. Strip off the noise so that in the quiet you can hear the signal. When was the last time you were quiet? When was the last time you were bored? When was the last time you were utterly focused? Utterly focused. When was the last time you were hungry? When was the last time you were so focused on the goal that you were able to drop everything and easily do so that hindered you? Creativity comes out of hunger. Creativity comes out of need. It isn't just some flash in the pan, this, hey, that'd be a good idea thing. Creativity comes from all of those places. Leadership at its core is primarily an act of creation. You know that. Here we are, talking several minutes, surrounded by a wonderfully creative cigar and a really creative Clyde Mays straight bourbon whiskey, 92 proof. There, that was the last sip in my glass. I'm not going to pour any more. I'm not going to pour any more. I'm just going to enjoy that the way it is. So, you've figured it out now, haven't you? I've probably been talking right to you. If you're discouraged, if you are frustrated, are you creating? Or are you just spinning plates, managing things, moving things around? Or are you at the heart and core of what you're doing, creating something that does not yet exist and likely will not exist 
without your effort and the effort of those who see it and join you along the way. Ah, create. Create every day. Create the future. It'll never be easier to do that than it is right now. Join those great leaders that I know by adopting this mental model. Leadership is at its core a creative act. You and I are creating and co-creating the future. It will not happen unless we do so. Oh, I know many of you, and many of you have created some amazing things. The most creative of the leaders I know continue to create. They don't create one thing and then sit back on their laurels. The very thing that would cause them to sit back on their laurels, the very internal psychological and physiological and spiritual infrastructure, architecture of their life that got them to create that first amazing thing will propel them to create the next amazing thing and the next and the next and the next. And that's you. If you're discouraged, if you're frustrated, it might be because you're in that solitary stage, that dark, lonely place of creating. And when you come out of it, you will have one or two other people who will join you. If you're discouraged, maybe you have decided to put off or delay or procrastinate creating because it just seems impossible. Well, of course it seems impossible. <laughs> it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> huh. But you have to create. All great leaders are creators. Well, here's to you. I wish you were sitting right over there with my two friends. I really enjoy this time with you. I enjoyed creating this podcast and creating this podcast series. And part five will come up soon in the great mental models of great leaders. All right, get to it. Go make something. Thanks for joining me. I know your time is valuable and I appreciate the opportunity to spend some of it with you. If this was worthwhile, why not take a minute and share this podcast with a friend? You could also check out our YouTube channel that's packed full of more ideas that will help you grow as a leader. It's called the Hilt Academy on YouTube. H-I-L-T stands for High Impact Leadership Training. You can also find my latest books on Amazon. Just search for Dr. D. Hicks or you can find out more on dhicks.com. Once again, thanks. Keep up the good work.